It's good to see you this morning. We are doing construction, and I wore my black pants today, and the pastor's robing area hasn't been dusted yet, so choir, I hope I sat down, I hope I got all the dust off, but uh, what a beautiful morning. I see Trace is out. Is Lydia out yet? Thank you, Trace and Lydia, for leading us and just coming and testifying with your lives in baptism today and encouraging us as we can kind of reflect on our own baptism and our own commitment to the Lord through your testimony. As I mentioned before I had Lydia married off, I, uh, I was reflecting on my own weekend. Uh, my family of my sister and myself and parents, uh, we had our first wedding since Gay and I got married. Uh, my niece was three months old when Gay and I got married, and we had just a wonderful time of celebration and of being together as family this weekend as we... Uh, um, celebrated her wedding on uh, marriage on uh, Friday night, um, and I didn't tell her I was preaching on the adulterous woman today, so, but uh, that's part of the point though, isn't it? How many of us stand before the altar with our husband or wife-to-be thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be the adulterous man or the adulterous woman? Um, how many of us even here, have been through that experience as the victim. And so as we come to a day when we, we start weaving our threads, considering the tapestry of life that we are weaving, we acknowledge and we understand that, that when words like adulterous woman and these stories come to our mind and our heart, that there's some pain for a lot of us. And yet the reality is, is there is, is pain. There are, are cords and threads in our own tapestries that reflect the great pains and sorrows and tragedies of life. And yet in the midst of those tragedies, in the midst of those sorrows, we have the opportunity to experience a, a new thread, a, a new cord. The cord of Jesus Christ who meets us where we are. And who brings not condemnation, but who brings healing and salvation and a way of life. So turn with me to John chapter 7. And um, one of the interesting things about this story that Bible scholars love to look at is, is that in the earliest manuscripts, this, this story, this pericope is, is not found. In fact, it's found in... In some earlier manuscripts, it's found in some different places, but this is the place where, where the church is determined that it needs to be in the gospel story, and it, in, in John's gospel, in the narrative, and so it's found a home here. And so as you look at it, you'll notice that your, this passage is set off starting from John chapter 7, verse 53, and it concludes in chapter 8, verse 11. And so you would say, well, why didn't they just... Make 53 number one. I, they didn't ask me. I wasn't there when they were making chapters and verses. But, but that may give a little bit of expression or, or understanding because the point I want to start with today as we consider the Jesus thread is when you think of this pericope, when you think of this story, what's the first thing, don't read, what's the first thing that you think of? What's the first thing that takes place? And probably 99% of us would say, well, the first thing that takes place is, is the Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. 
Because that's the way our, our Bible is separated, is, is, is divided in chapter and verse. But isn't it fascinating that chapter 7 verse 53 is the first verse of this story. And so let's look at these first two verses and, and consider that as we get into the rest of the story. Everyone went to his home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, if, as you go back and, and read the rest of chapter 7, what you discover and what you find out is that, that the heat for Jesus is continuing to rise. His opposition is becoming stronger and stronger. He, he's becoming encountered a little bit more. His, the criticism is becoming a little more vocal. Now, certainly, there are stronger followers that are coming along which is part of this tension that's created as the religious leaders of the day are seeing this, this unknown, this prophet from Galilee of all places, beginning to gather a crowd. And people are beginning to follow after him. And it's beginning to concern the religious leaders of the day. They're afraid for the, not just the spiritual and religious implications, but also for the political implications and so as we read through chapter 7, we see this back and forth and back and forth. And we see that Jesus continues to be confronted. And I find it fascinating and very insightful and instructive for us that at the end of this day, when everybody went home, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now it's also important for us to, to realize and understand that that chapter 7 is introduced with a, a feast of, of um, the booths. I couldn't remember that, booths. That's, that's one of the three major festivals that the Jewish people celebrated. It is the celebration of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And what would take place as the, as the people, the Jewish people would gather around Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, festival of booths is they would build booths. They would build these temporary shacks, homes, tents, whatever, and they would, would stay in them. They would live in them for those, that short period of time to identify with, to commemorate this leaving of Egypt and finding themselves in this transitional status for all their lives or, or for that, that time period. So that's kind of the picture of Jerusalem. If we tie in the same time frame here and, and following the, the gospel narrative and story. And so it's interesting, you have this picture of Jerusalem being filled with all of these, these temporary housing places. And people coming to Jerusalem to worship. And to seek and to experience God in more intimate and personal ways. And yet here's the story of them going back to their, their homes and going back to their, their, their places to rest and to sleep. But Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Now, if you look through the, the history of this Mount of Olives, it's, obviously it's near Jerusalem. It was a religious place. There were temples of all sorts that were built there. But we know it that it was also a high and holy place for the Jewish people. In fact, the, the, the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives on the night in which He was betrayed. The other passages or Gospels would tell us He went to Gethsemane. Well, Gethsemane simply means an, an olive press. And so it's quite likely that as Jesus, when he, when he went to the Mount of Olives, 
And Luke tells us he would go there often and he would stay all night there. But this was a place of retreat for Jesus. This was a place of rest for Jesus. This was a place of prayer for Jesus. And so I suspect that just as on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus and his disciples went up to the Mount of Olives. Everybody else went home. The disciples probably found their place in which they sleep. They went up there. And Jesus would go off, pray and reflect on the day. Maybe understanding that these tensions were mounting and and just being close and present with His Father so that whatever took place the next day, that He would be prepared. He would be ready. He would be able to respond to the opposition in front of Him. And so my question for us today is, is do you, do we have a Mount of Olives? Do you have a Gethsemane? Where you can go and get away. When everybody else goes home, when everybody else has called it quits, that you find a place of prayer and of refuge and of rest. You see, there are some times in our lives, and this is where we must be sensitive to the Spirit of God, there are those times in our lives when we don't need to go home, we need to go to the Mount of Olives and spend a night in prayer. Spend a season in prayer and preparation and rest in preparation for the next day, for the next season of life. So we rejoin the story. Everyone went to his home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And then early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. And all the people were coming to him, and they sat down, and he began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. Now let's talk about this thread of the adulterous woman, what I want to call the thread of lostness. And again, here in John 8, verse 3, we see the the Scriptures tell us that the Pharisees brought this woman early in the morning to, to accuse her, to humiliate her, to bring her sin to the light. They knew Jesus would be there, or they'd heard He was there, and so they brought her quickly and immediately. Now again, how many of us wake up in the morning and say, you know what, wouldn't today be a great day to be an adulterer? Wouldn't today be a great day to be an adulteress? Wouldn't today be a great day to be a thief or a swindler? Wow! Wouldn't this be a great day to have a new addiction? Yet how many of us wake up one day trapped and exposed to the lostness in which we find ourselves. Who is this adulterous woman? What's her name? How did she get in that place? Who's this adulterer? Who's this man that's missing? What's his name? Why hasn't he been exposed along with this woman as well? What's going on here? Who are these people? Do you know these people? In your life, do they have names? 
what does the thread of lostness look like in your life? Are you the adulteress? Are, are you the adulterer? Is your adultery more, not, not physical or sexual in nature? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Have you fallen into this place of adultery due to, to victimization? You know, Jesus is very clear in teaching on divorce. If, if you divorce, if you give a certificate of divorce to, to someone, then you cause her to commit adultery. Was, was she abandoned in that culture where if you were a divorced woman, then, then basically the only hope you had was prostitution? Did one of these Pharisaic men give this woman a certificate of divorce and leave her at the curb and left her with nothing else to do but to become an adulteress? Or maybe this is a desperate cry for love or attention. Maybe it's a lifestyle chosen out of lust or covetousness. Maybe this adulteress just is lost and walking in the darkness and, and, and doesn't really understand what's going on, what she's doing. Maybe. Maybe she was on Facebook one night and reconnected with an old boyfriend and the next thing you knew, she was in this adulterous relationship. You see, when the light finally exposes the darkness of your sin and shame, what will that look like to the world around you? And certainly, we're getting ready to talk about the Pharisees and their issues. But what about this poor adulteress? What about this poor adulterer? What about when we find ourselves in that place? But let's do talk about the thread of the Pharisee, the thread of what I want to call a, of self-righteousness and of hypocrisy. Look at verse, excuse me, at chapter 4. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 4. They bring this woman caught in adultery. They, they bring her to the center court there where Jesus is at in teaching. And they throw her in the midst and all eyes are upon her. And they say, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. In the very act. Isn't it interesting how Jesus reacted? He, he stooped down. Then tell us why he stooped down. There's all kinds of commentaries and books and theories about why Jesus stooped down. Maybe it was simply to take the attention off of this woman and to put it upon himself. Maybe it was because he was so angry he didn't know what to do and he stooped down to collect his thoughts. Remember, he had spent a night in prayer and so his spirit was in one and in tune with his father. And maybe he was just caught so off guard that he'd stooped down for just a minute to take a breath. Again, isn't it interesting that, that it, this Feast of the Booths that's going on all around Jerusalem is a feast that celebrates the deliverance of, Egypt, of, of Israel from Egypt from their suffering. 
And as they built these, these temporary housing places, it was an act of solidarity. It was an act of reminder. It was a, an, an opportunity for them to act out this kind of redemption that the people of Israel received from God as they were freed from Egypt. But instead of that taking place on this particular festival of booths, instead, these Pharisees bring this adulterous woman in a way of acting out the people of Israel, the Pharisees, own slavery and sin to their own self-righteousness and piety. Listen to Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2, what Jesus says. He says, he says Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is, this is what te- Jesus had been teaching. And again, the scribes and the Pharisees were so enslaved to their hatred and to their anger and to their own darkness towards Jesus that they had no awareness that they were slaves to this cruel master. Some would suggest that Jesus was actually writing down the names of the adulterers gathered around. And the implication here, well, if you want to stone this woman, then you guys just get in line and we'll just stone all of you right now. Or maybe he was writing down the other sins that were punishable by death. You see, we all have our pet sins, don't we? The ones that we want to condemn. And adultery was the, the sin of the day, right? Well, look at this, look at this adulteress. Let's, let's, let's follow the law to the letter here. There were a lot of laws in the Old Testament that required death. And maybe Jesus was reminding them, okay, if we're going to carry out justice and law here, then let's, let's be consistent. Let's be faithful. Again, aren't we like the Pharisees in so many ways? We, we condemn the sin of the day and we want the maximum penalty for that. But we turn the other way when it comes to our own pet sins in our own sinful ways of life. But again, as we return to the Scripture, the Scripture indicates that it's not what Jesus wrote on the ground that pricked the ears of those who were listening. Rather, it was what He said. So so let's enjoy kind of speculating, but let's not be distracted with our imagination and miss the point of Jesus' words. So let's now begin to talk about this, these other threads of the life of Jesus, the, the threads of life and of grace. Now picture this scene. Picture what's going on. They're in the temple courts and, and this woman is, is in, in her shame and she's standing there probably huddled down and Jesus is bent down and He's riding on the, on the sand and you can just see the the Pharisees smiling and winking at each other like they finally have done it. And you've got the rest of the crowd that's kind of the innocent bystanders and they're thinking, what is going on? And everyone's trying to look and see what Jesus is writing. And He stands up and He says this in verse 7. He says, 
He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stoops down again. And again, this is where I think that his words are having the opportunity to penetrate. To work through the callousness of these, these Pharisees and these scribes and penetrating into the recesses and the depths of their, their heart, his words begin to strike home. And Jesus is down writing, doodling, whatever. And one by one, the Pharisees begin to walk away. And the Scripture tells us the older, wiser Pharisees begin to walk away first as these words penetrate their heart. After a few seconds, after a few minutes, the rest of the morning, I, I don't know, Jesus stands back up. Kind of looks around maybe. He says, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? I do not condemn you either. Now go. And from now on, sin no more. Turn back to John chapter 3. We talked about Nicodemus a few weeks ago, and I want to come back to some of these familiar passages again. And, and let's look at verse 16. And let's see what, what's this mission. Jesus says, I didn't, I didn't come to, I, I don't condemn you. But get up, don't, but go, don't, don't sin anymore though. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge or to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who hates evil, who does evil, excuse me, hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may not be manifested as having been wrought in God. And here we are a few, few chapters later. And Jesus says, I don't come to condemn you. I come to bring light. I come to, to save you. I come to, to offer you a new way. So now stand up. Get up and go. And walk in the light. You see, Jesus offers grace and life. He does not condemn the adulterous woman. Why? Because she's already condemned. Just like we are already condemned, we're already judged in our sin. But rather, Jesus holds to a standard of righteousness in carrying out the sentence. She's already been condemned. This is the just sentence that she be put to death. But Jesus is the only one who can righteously and rightfully condemn her and carry out the sentence, yet He chooses grace and pardon. You see, His mission, He came to this world to bring salvation, to bring the gift of eternal life 
And isn't it interesting that even in our own lives that, that those who can be condemned, those who are guilty, tend to be the ones who scream loudest for condemnation for others. Yet Jesus, who has experienced this righteousness, who walks justly, is the one whose heart is broken for her lostness and offers salvation and redemption and something new instead. Yet even in His mercy, Jesus does not offer permission or license to sin. He says, go and sin no more. Go and do not continue practicing adultery. Practice righteousness. Find another way. Don't continue to walk in the darkness. You see, Matthew 7, so often, we read those first two verses, so often we stop there and we say, oh, we're not supposed to judge others. But you need to continue to reading because it says, take the speck out of your eye and then help the other, other person, right? We don't leave people in their sin. But we walk with them to find salvation and new life. As we look back in John chapter 8, I, I, I love this story. And again, our, our Bible, we separate verses with headings and things like that. Isn't it interesting that in, in verse 11 that Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on sin no more. Imagine this woman saying, okay Jesus. <laughs> what does that mean? How do I go and sin no more? Let's, let's just say she's an adulteress because she, she has nothing. And this is the only way she can support herself. You know, hey, do the best you can, but don't sin anymore. Look at verse 12. I think John is helping us to, to understand what Jesus is saying to this woman. He's saying to Nicodemus in John 3, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Go and sin no more. Go and don't walk in darkness anymore, but rather, you come now and follow me. Come and walk in the light, and you will find life. You will find a life that you've never experienced before. Leave the darkness. Leave the condemnation and the guilt and the shame and come and experience life in a new way. This morning, the question for us is, how many of us, like the adulterous woman, like the Pharisees, how many of us walk in the darkness? This morning, we have considered some threads that could be woven through the tapestries of our lives. The, the thread of prayer and, and preparation. The thread of, of going and getting away to the Mount of Olives and, and Gethsemane at times. We've seen the thread of lostness. And how that leads us into lives of adultery and whatever that means in our lives. We've seen the thread of hypocrisy and, and, and of Self-righteousness. 
and of taking the sin and focus off of my own condition and, and putting it upon others to judge and to condemn them. And finally, we've seen this thread of life and of grace, of forgiveness, but not of leaving someone in their sin, but offering them a way of light and of life. This morning, whatever the sin is of your life, Jesus does not offer condemnation. He offers grace. Even though the Pharisees are all around you, calling for your death, Jesus offers mercy. Be patient in your brokenness. Be patient in your shame and your humiliation. For you see, in the presence of Christ, your accusers will slowly begin to slip away. Hear these words of love and grace from Jesus. I do not condemn you. Now get up. Go. And sin no more. Don't walk in the darkness. But come. Follow me. And walk in the light. Let's pray.